pleasure when he says he's a good guy it's probably a lie it's a polyamorous slasher the cabin in the woods has a four-star rating but the murder scene will be devastating he's coming on too strong there might be something wrong it's a polyamorous slasher the podcast hey guys i'm amanda and I'm Tara, and this is Happily Ever Slasher, the podcast about two movies with one thing in common. Every week, we're watching one romantic comedy and one horror movie to find out just how much these two genres have in common. And this July, we're doing a theme. Ooh. <laughs> it's summer, and I may be spending it mostly in a tiny New York City apartment, but Happily Ever Slasher is going to camp. That's right. The next three episodes will feature at least one movie that takes place at a summer camp. Did you ever go to summer camp? I, I did. I went to ballet camp and I went to swim camp and I went to a day camp as a child that I realized um, is very racist in how it was named. <laughs> no. Think of it. <laughs> that is... Not cool. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I was, like, five, so I didn't know. But, like, looking back, I'm like, wow, the town just went with this. Yeah, I feel like they really did a lot with, like, Native American things they should not have called things at camps. Yeah. Camps are really into the themes. Yeah. we. I, it was called Camp Iroquois, and every, like, age group was a different was also a different tribe. So there was, like, Seneca and the Mohawks, but they were all part of, like, the Iroquois Nation, Camp Iroquois. Usually ca- camp in the 80s and 90s was very problematic. They didn't know they were, but they were. <laughs> this just doesn't make it any less problematic. <laughs> no, no. No, it's not a good look. And <laughs> they're changing, so that's good. D- did you also go to a problematic camp? I went to a lot of camps, so I loved camp when I was a kid I still do it's like a theme but like I loved summer camp when I was a kid and I used I had a best friend since I was five and I would drag her to camp I would be like Ashley can you come to summer camp with me because I didn't want to go alone and this poor girl went to summer camp like three times just because I really wanted to go that's a good friend yeah I know she she's great She's a great friend. <laughs> I think she's listening. Hi. <laughs> no. um, yeah, so we went to summer camp a lot. One of the times was like, two of the times were overnight camp, and one of them was the day camp situation. But I had all like the classic camp stories. I'd say my most horrifying camp story is one time at camp, all the counselors failed the lice test. You know how they give you like a head lice test when you get to camp? Oh, man. Yeah, all the counselors had head lice. And we were all fucking. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Really, it was a real horny counselor situation at my uh, Girl Scout camp that summer. <laughs> and another time, so I was at breakfast, and I hate orange juice. It, like, it really reacts to my tongue weird, which is, like, a, a longer story that we didn't have to get into. <laughs> but... um. They made me drink it. They wouldn't let me get up from breakfast until I drank an entire glass of orange juice. Oh, that's it was like, Yeah, it was like child fear factor. They were, like would not let me leave the table, so I had to chug it, and it was not cool. So, yeah. That was like pretty much just like 
the movie we're talking about today. <laughs> it's exactly the same. <laughs> um, so what movies are we talking about this week? <laughs> well... <laughs> I feel like we've really built up the suspense of this. But if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna talk about camp movies, there's only one place to start. <laughs> I love that so much. We're talking about the 1980 iconic slasher, Friday the 13th. And we're gonna talk about it alongside the 2001 satirical camp comedy, Wet Hot American Summer. And the theme this week is summer camp is dangerous for the counselors and definitely for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen these movies before? So I had seen Wet Hot American Summer before. Um, my aunt was like really excited to watch it once like a few years ago and I watched it with her and I did not like it but pretended to because she was so excited and I have to say like maybe my expectations were just really low but I liked it a lot better this time around I think I was able to kind of relax <laughs> enjoy the jokes um and I had actually never seen Friday the 13th before I had seen the sequel shame but- <laughs> shame <laughs> sorry but well now I have now now I've seen all of my slasher, <laughs> major slashers. <laughs> um, how about you? I had seen both of them before. I saw Wet Hot American Summer probably shortly after it came out, and I really liked it at the time. But I think, like, also, like, I was young, and I think the people I were with really liked it. So I think it was just kind of, like, one of those situations where you leave a movie and everyone's like, oh, my God, this was so good. And you don't even know if you think it's good. You just get so amped up on the energy of, like, everyone enjoying it that, like, it becomes this, like, nostalgic movie-going experience. So when I watched it this time, I feel like it, like, fell from grace a little bit for me. I still I still like it a lot, but, like, it felt longer to me. It's only, like, 90-something minutes, but it felt... I kept pausing it to see how much longer I had to go, which is not a good sign. <laughs> That's not a sign of really enjoying yourself. Um, and Friday the 13th, I... A couple, I'd seen it a, a while back, and then a couple years ago, I tried to... Around one of, like, the date Friday the 13th that had happened, I tried to do, like, a rewatch of all of them. And I made it through, I think, five before I needed a little break. And then I never went back. But I'm going, I, I plan on it. I want to rewatch them. But I really actually liked, like, two, three, five better than one. I, I definitely liked the second one. But I just, for, I watched it a long time ago. But I remember the second one being, like, a lot funnier. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like the difference between... The first and second here is, like, the same difference between um, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. (laughs) It's, like, the same plot, but by the second one, they're like, well, they already gave us the money to make four, so, like, let's do whatever the fuck we want. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Plus, like, you finally get some Jason action in the second one. I feel like it's, like, I don't know. You don't get the full experience until you get actual Jason. And you don't even get him in the hockey mask until later so yeah. I feel like you just gotta stick with it but I I love the theme like I love anything that takes place at a camp especially a spooky camp 
Uh, well, should we get into it? Yeah, let's let's do it. So, Friday the 13th probably needs no introduction on a podcast about horror movies, but if you found yourself here by accident or you're just here to listen to us tear apart your favorite rom-coms, <laughs> Friday the 13th is the iconic 1980 slasher film that introduced the world to Jason Voorhees, or at least his mother. Not as terrifying, but... I don't know. (laughs) It gave me real, um, oh my God, I was going to say Patrick Bateman, but that's American Psycho. I just want regular Psycho. (laughs) Non- Norman Bates. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. Mothers can be pretty, pretty frightening. And it sets up the franchise that has spanned decades. But the original Friday the 13th was directed by Seanus Cunningham, who, according to Wikipedia, the story of, like, how he, like, came up with this concept was he saw the success of Halloween in 1978 and just set out to make a film. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Like, halfway into my notes, I was like, so this is Halloween at camp. The intro sequence is, like, the same thing. And, like, the way the title comes in. Yeah, he, like, put out an ad trying to sell this movie before the screenplay had even been drafted. Uh, (laughs) But it was eventually drafted by Victor Miller, who eventually finished the screenplay. But now another, like, big story is, like, the two are apparently, like, embroiled in a legal battle. I'm not good with, like, law stuff, but, like, the gist is basically there's, like, a loophole in U.S. copyright law that says after 35 years the copyright to a written work can return to the original author. So Miller's trying to get the rights back from Cunningham. So, yeah. Until that's resolved, there won't be any new additions to the franchise. So let's uh, take it where we can get it and dive into the first one. Let's do it. out of the story and threw me off like because I always thought it was going to be the chicka chicka 
from like Ferris Bueller. Like every time it came out, I was expecting that. Well, that's really funny, actually, because I was looking it up after because I was curious. So like first, I sometimes have um, subtitles on when I watch movies just to kind of in case I miss dialogue. And the words that come up on the screen during it are discordant, menacing theme plays. <laughs> like, that's true. But also, in ri- like, when I looked it up, people were writing it as ki-ki-ki-ma-ma-ma. That's which, what I was seeing. Yeah. So it's like the original, like, Yanni versus Laurel or, like, the blue or the gold dress. Like, what do you hear? <laughs> What did you hear? I heard the ch ch ch. I yeah, I, I heard ch 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 with like it was like they were breathing down your neck. Yeah, but the ma adds a different dimension to it. Yeah, it's like very meta. Um, also, anytime I I was doing it to myself while I was watching the movie, and my cat freaked the fuck out when she saw me doing it like every time I did it she would look at me and just go and like kind of like scuttle scuttle away (laughs) very effective very effective menacing soundtrack John Comforter should take notes that that (laughs) Halloween theme it's not like it caught on and became iconic right (laughs) yeah I mean (laughs) if only (laughs) The movie opens, and we're at Camp Crystal Lake in 1958. We got camp stuff happening. Two horny counselors sneak off to hook up. He breaks out a blanket, which is very thoughtful, but also, like, he was expecting this to happen. Well, they had, like, definitely planned that. I think she was, like, in on it, too, so I'm, like, okay with it. But it it, it is the opening of Halloween, but, like, (laughs) I appreciate a little I appreciate a little nice planning too though cuz they look pretty dingy up in that attic or wherever they went so good move but not good enough cuz they dead real quick <laughs> This was like a plot holding never resolved for me. I thought like they were going to work back around to like and the boy who killed them was Jason and it just like never really comes back other to be like the camp is haunted. Oh, I guess the mom killed them. Did, am I getting too hard? Oh. Maybe she, like, because they say the boy drowned the year before. So maybe that was, like, her first attempt at being, like, it shan't open again. Sorry, I'll cut this out because it's all spoilers. I'm just working it out for myself. Fine. If you haven't seen Friday the 13th, <laughs> I mean, you haven't. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows how it ends. I, I think we're fine with spoilers. Guys, we're going to have spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> spoilers for a 30 something 40 something year old movie how old is this movie and Dumbledore is dead and J.K. Rowling is transphobic like let's all just in this world <laughs> but I think that's a good point and I've actually never thought about that before which is like crazy yeah the mom had to have murdered those two counselors but they don't ever address it so you really wouldn't think about it it's very odd. It, I, I, I feel like that was like a thing they worked in after to be like, yeah, it, it maybe ties in. We weren't just copying Halloween. Like it's, <laughs> it's important to the plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, why else? Would, then she waits like another. Oh, I guess she waits till the camp reopens again. 
But, like, she's just been simmering all those years. Like, surely she could have found someone else to kill in all that time. She's got great skin for, like, how long she's been simmering. (laughs) (laughs) The stress is not good. It's not good for the wrinkles. (laughs) But, so, they do get murdered. Maybe or maybe not by Mrs. Voorhees. But, like, so that's when we get, like, the freeze frame on like the girls screaming and that's the then we get like friday the 13th and we're in present day now we meet annie who is way too chipper to be hiking with all that stuff when she's 20 miles away from where she's going is this the um is that the same actress that plays the um Singing Telegram and Clue. Hmm. I wonder. Oh, my God. It does. Like, I haven't seen Clue in a little while, but she does look very similar. And it has a similar chip, chipperness. Yeah, it's the same energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real Singing Telegram energy she's got going. <laughs> and they meet a similar fate, which is... <laughs> Boy, <yeah. laughs> All the spoilers. Guys, shut this off if you haven't seen Friday the 13th, unless you don't plan on seeing it. Um, So she goes into a diner to ask directions. Everyone is super rude, almost like they don't think she should be going to Camp Crystal Lake. Weird. (laughs) But a guy offers to drive her, which is nice, since they mention it's 20 miles away. Of course, she does have to withstand some moderate sexual harassment for the ride. Which, like, does he, like, straight up, like, grabs her ass getting her into the truck. And she's just like, thanks for the push. (laughs) All the girls up there are going to look as good as you. And she just, like, has, like, the most real response for, like, the 80s. And even, like, recently. But just, like, nervous, uncomfortable laughter. Like, oh, like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, this is fucking gross. (laughs) But in hope, you know, I don't know. She shouldn't have gotten the... Got in the truck. But she needed the ride, and he's not her biggest problem. Yeah. Um, So an old stranger comes up to her and goes on about a death curse. She has no friend who knows everything about curses, so she's shit out of luck. (laughs) Really inconvenient. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we know it's not a real curse movie. (laughs) Yes, yeah, the curse is an actual because she would have that friend. <laughs> Every movie about curses. So, like, another thing that's kind of fucked up is, like, the guy, Christy, who was opening the camp, apparently did not tell his new employees, like, all the shit that went down at the camp. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, that's pretty much, I feel like, not legal. But I don't know, like I said, law stuff. I don't know. <laughs> It's a, they're in New Jersey. I found out there is um, there's a legally haunted house in New York, the only one in the country. It's like ten minutes from me, um, because like someone, someone apparently like thought it was haunted and then sued the previous owner for like not telling them, and it went to like the state supreme court, and they they like made a ruling of like it's legally haunted and has to be disclosed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do remember that from horror movies where, like, they have to disclose if a house is haunted, which... I, I, in New York, they do. I don't know if anywhere else in the country that's a real thing. I think murders, you do. Yeah. 
<laughs> what about, do you have to disclose, disclose it at camps where there's been murders? <laughs> Either so way, it's just the nice thing to do. <laughs> it's just common decency. <laughs> <laughs> but he does fill her in, and I mean, you know, we needed some exposition. There's the dead couple from the beginning, and a little boy who drowned the year before that. Jim, J- Jason, maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> What's the last name? <laughs> he drops her off in front of a cemetery, which is like a whole mood. And like convenient that it's like right by this camp where a bunch of people are going to die. It's like short distance to bring the bodies, I guess. Good thinking on the part of the town planners. <laughs> <laughs> like we can save some gas money. <laughs> So she hitchhikes again, and this time it's the killer who slashes her throat, which is, like, a super graphic scene. Like, the throat is, like, bul- like the insides are, like, bulging. I thought that was, like, a really well done for the 80s. I have to say, I didn't see this coming. I thought Annie had, like, some final girl potential. Um, and she, she seemed a little not like the other girls, so <laughs> that was really surprising to me. <laughs> she had that positive attitude. original vibes (laughs) but alas she is dead and like I can't so we're gonna have spoilers we already did I can't remember a time when I didn't know like how this movie ended but I feel like this is like really good foreshadowing because she's in this car and you never get like the feeling that she feels threatened at all Yeah. so I feel like you right off the bat know it's someone who's non-threatening because she's like chill I did catch that, too. I thought that was well done. It was really well done. I agree. <laughs> like, I wonder how this movie was marketed. I don't know much about it. In the 80s, where it's, like, before Jason was a thing. Because now we just get the Jason, Jason mask. You see Jason everywhere. Like, I wonder how they, like, did I, this before Jason was Jason. They marketed it like Halloween at camp. <laughs> I, I do think that they were trying to set it up like it might be Christy because of that, with how comfortable she is talking to him, because the cars are really similar. Maybe they aren't. I have car blindness. To me, the cars were very similar <laughs> when they cut back to him the next scene. Um, so I think you're supposed to like maybe think it was him and have some questions about that, or at least it works that way, even if it wasn't intentional. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, I, like, feel like I didn't even, I just went into it thinking, Jason, Jason, Mrs. Voorhees, and I didn't even think, like, of, like, what people thought until this second. That's really, that's, yeah. I'm going to look it up after because I'm curious to see, like, the marketing material of this movie in the 80s. But anyway. (laughs) So she's dead. We meet three other horny teen counselors on their way to Crystal Lake. Mm. We Kevin also, Bacon, that low V. Mm. <laughs> I honestly didn't even realize it was him until he died. <laughs> and then I was like, the bacon? <gasps> that bacon was cooked. Put him shh. We also meet Steve Christie and another counselor, Alice, who has the misfortune of having got there first and now has to weather Steve's creepy advances. She wants to leave, and Steve's like, no, just stay, and, like, creepily doubles down by touching her hair because he can't read her body language. Like, don't touch me. 
There's, okay, so, like, now there's just a lot of random scenes with the counselors. There's, like, one maybe rescuing another one from drowning, although, like, it could have been a whole convoluted plot to force a girl to kiss him on the mouth while giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. (laughs) Did you think he was actually drowning, or was he doing it all for the nookie? I think that scene had two purposes. One for the audience to think that there might be something in the lake and that he could be drowning. But then I think his intention within the movie was, I don't think he was actually drowning. I think he just wanted to be a person. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I feel like I can't watch this movie without, I can't put myself in the headspace of not knowing what happens. I think I've seen it too many times. But what about this? Okay, so then now tell me, what was the purpose of the scene with the snake? Foreshadowing with the machete? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that's good. No, that's good. That's like, that one, too. There were, like, a lot of things in this that, like, I kept thinking would come back. And then we're like, no, we're <laughs> kill people very consistently every 15 minutes. <laughs> like, that's yeah, really happened. <laughs> it was, like, so random. Like, but one thing is, like, all the counselors, like, run in it's like all the counselors at once trying to help and like they cut up this snake and like honestly there was more anxiety in that scene for me than like any of like the actual murders i was just like oh my god this is fucking madness yeah but that snake died so r.i.p first uh well not first annie was first but one of the first kills (laughs) (laughs) there's machete kill machete I know. I feel like also the murder weapons were all over the place because there was arrows. I at first the first two are throats, and I was like, okay, so we've got like our thing that's cool, and then the third one was like a throat a little different, and then by the fourth, I was like, you can't just do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> what do you think this is? Like Valentine's Day? Like that's the way. <laughs> Not how this works. Mrs. Voorhees. I almost said Jason, but it's not Jason. Um, also, like, they totally spoil Friday the 13th and Scream in that whole scene where she's on the phone and, like, I mean, I guess, whatever. Just a sec- side note. <laughs> um, anyway, so I thought this was a problem because I had a really hard time distinguishing which counselor was which. Like, I had to, like, write down all their names. It's just, like, a lot of nondescript white kids. Like, I had no idea. It was, like, Brenda, Marcy, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer, Tiffany, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) I literally, like, didn't know any of these counselors' names until I looked them up on IMDb and then made a list. And then I was like, okay, Brenda, Alice, Annie. (laughs) Okay, we got it. But... Yeah, until they got murdered, and then I was, I could, like, once they, like, separated from the group, I could kind of be like, okay, that's Brenda, because Marcy's with Jack, or <laughs> I got it. But, um, so, yeah, now people start dying, and the first one to go is Ned, who, honestly, I wasn't that sad to see happen, but actually, that might be a little bit later. Oh, yeah, that's a, spoiler alert, that's a little bit later. First, he does a really tone-deaf, racist-as-fuck Native American impression, which is yeah. horrible. Yeah, there was that. <laughs> I Maybe that's our theme for the week. Camp is, camp is racist. 
I hope not because I liked camp and I don't want to think about it as racist, but we have to, we have to confront that if that's true. And you know what? It might be, and that's fucking unfortunate, but we can still have camp. We just have to name it different things and not do impressions. <laughs> very true. It's very true. Cause they play, this as a joke. The cop comes by and he's making a lot of like plays on, on like towards Ned and He's basically just there to try to find Ralph, the old guy from earlier, which who ends up in their pantry somehow. I don't know how he got in there. (laughs) Oh, Ralph. (laughs) I mean, he so he he warns them yet again about the death curse and then leaves. And this guy's supposed to be crazy, but he rode 20 miles to this camp from town on a bicycle. So, like, I'd say just give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, I don't know. That sounds like a crazy amount of work to me. Like, (laughs) it's true. But, like, it's also, like, it takes, like, planning and knowing where you're going. (laughs) Like, I feel like you have to really put some thought into it. But it happens. And then he never comes back. I think that's the last time we see him. And now Ned dies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, honestly I'm glad it was him Um, so after that Marcy and Jake go for a quickie Jack Jack, Jake or Jack I don't he was Kevin Bacon to me the whole time (laughs) (laughs) Marcy and Kevin Bacon go for a quickie while Alice and the other two who I literally internet movie database Brenda and Mike no wait (laughs) Bill, Brenda and Bill play a game of strip monopoly. (laughs) Basically, you're just sitting there for six and a half hours in your underwear is basically what's happening there. I feel like, yeah, it was just an excuse to get like Brenda in her raincoat and bra when she was killed. (laughs) Definitely. But like, is it weird that when Bill has the line like "Heaven help if you land on one of my hotels," I just thought of Trump, which is horrible. But I was like, "Oh my god, you're not wrong." <laughs> what a presidential thing to say. <laughs> so, yeah. So at this point, Marcy goes to the bathroom in her underwear to pee after sex, just like you're supposed to. But she pays for it with her life. <laughs> So you know what? Don't pee after sex. Yeah. Avoiding a UTI is not worth being murdered in a bathhouse in your underwear. <laughs> I feel like that might be the lesson. <laughs> Don't pee after sex. Yeah. Um, I, I agree completely. <laughs> well, this has been fun. <laughs> so now at this point, while Mars is in the bathroom, Jack also gets dead real quick. And he's, like, smoking a joint when he gets stabbed from, like, underneath the bed with an arrow. So, like, the killer must also know that only you can prevent forest fires, which is a silver lining. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then we have, so now the only people left are Bill, Brenda, and uh, Alice. So Brenda's also killed because she hears a child's voice calling for help and goes after it. Okay, that was another one I had. Like, is the camp supposed to be haunted? Like, I guess Jason pops up at the end. Like, is that him calling? Or is that, like, Mrs. Voorhees just standing in the woods like, Mommy, Mommy, no! 
I think it's Mrs. Voorhees because in the end she does like the mommy kill her voice and I feel like oh, yeah okay she's just really good at impressions <laughs> her improv career never took off so this is all she's got <laughs> so Brenda's an idiot goes after this child's voice so you know what I say just like squash that maternal instinct down you know it's not working <laughs> but in both the movies we've watched this is the only counselor with like any sort of concern for the children <laughs> Oh my god, that's so true. Oh, and you know what? She fucking pays for it. So, anyway, Steve Christie's stuck at a diner in a rainstorm. He gets a ride from a cop, but is dropped off far away from camp. He sees someone, and he's not super surprised to see them, not intimidated by them, and then he's dead, too. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, pointless, I feel like. Pointless I guess, like, the, I guess you're right that the character of Steve probably was just to be a red herring. Because, like, what point does that character have? Although he is at that restaurant. So if he was murdering all those people, how'd he get to the restaurant? I don't know. I mean, maybe it was, I don't know. I have no good answers for that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. You <laughs> can't even come up with something. <laughs> the generator is busted now, and Bill decides to go and fix it. So, like... I don't know. Here's the thing. If you're in a spooky location and people go missing and the generator goes, you just don't have a generator. It's broke. The ship is sailed. Also, like, it's very clear that there's, like, a pattern of, like, if you leave the group, you will die. Like, because even, like, I feel like at this point, like, have they found Jack and Marcy? So here's the thing, too, is at this point, the only character left alive is Alice, but she doesn't know. She just thinks Brenda's asleep, Marcy and Jack are having sex, Ned's Ned, so he just went off, and now Bill's been gone too long. So, like, literally, she doesn't know anything. She spends 10, ma- ten minutes making coffee, which, like, what the po- what was the point of watching her, like, pour the coffee, pour the water, get the sugar? I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I feel like oh. they just needed to break the 90-minute mark, and they were like, what can we do? I I enjoyed the coffee scene. I'm going to um, – controversial opinion. I liked <laughs> figuring out, like, who takes milk, who takes sugar. I thought it was really insightful. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see that. Very scintillating stuff. So – she eventually, Bill's been gone a while, she goes after him, and she finds his body, like, hanging from a door with, like, arrows through, like, every, every orifice, and it's... I actually do have an answer for why they stay on the coffee scene, Ooh. because now I'm remembering, like, watching it, because you're not sure who the final person's going to be at this point, and every other scene where someone's gotten murdered, they've stayed on them doing something mundane for, like, a long time, so I feel like when she's doing the coffee, you're, like, waiting for her to get killed... And then it, it's it's a suspense, Amanda. God. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, at this point, were there final boys? Because, like, I mean, there's only a boy and a girl left. And, you know, like, it's got to be a girl. And she didn't have to take her shirt off during Strip Monopoly. So, you know, she's a virgin and you know she's going to fucking live. I don't Maybe there hasn't been enough of a precedent yet. How many slashers in are we? I mean, Halloween. (laughs) Halloween had Jamie Lee Curtis, and he's not being. (laughs) Sean Cunningham was like, fuck, I need a girl to live through the whole movie. (laughs) They do have like the same haircut. (laughs) They do. 
What was that? Oh, the 80s. The virgin cut. <laughs> Is that the 80s wild? version of like a straight bob? <laughs> this girl likes school. <laughs> so she finds him. He's dead. And like I like pause the screen to see the timing. And like the final girl didn't even know she was in a horror movie until the last 24 minutes of the movie. So it's like there is no like. No one knows anyone's dead until 24 minutes left to go in the movie, which is, like, crazy. But yet they start killing people. So it shocked me how, like, early they started killing people. And then it's just, like, consistently. Like, I kept waiting for them to be like, no, this person, like, gets away and tells people. It's like, nope, she's no, she's dead like you thought she was going to be. <laughs> That's true. There's no, like, person, like, clawing out of, like, a hole with, like, their leg hanging off. Like, you know, yeah. like... Someone made it. I mean, it could also be like how they defend themselves because her plan to barricade the door of the cabin is like comedy gold. She's like <laughs> tying this rope. I feel like Wiley Coyote would be proud of this like rope setup. She's like got it all like rigged up. She's like tying knots. And like, meanwhile, you're in a log cabin on a ground floor with like a million windows. She also like. Because I think at that point, right, she's seen, was it Mike that's dead? She doesn't, like, check the cabin for this other person that's clearly on the property. She just starts, like, locking this door in this crazy setup where I'm like, what if they're in there with you? <laughs> you just fucked yourself. <laughs> she could just jump out the window. Because there's <laughs> all the windows. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the point. And, yeah, like, eventually a body does come flying through the window. And at this point, or shortly after we meet Mrs. Voorhees, we learn about Jason. And he drowned in 58 when two counselors went off to have sex instead of watching him swim. Is that true? (laughs) (laughs) Is this how our movies come together? Huh? Is this how our movies come together? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer is an origin story for Jason. <laughs> uh, the, re- the rest of the movie is just a battle between Alice and Mrs. Voorhees. But, like, okay, so here's the thing. If you're fighting a 60-year-old woman, like, how is she overpowering all of these, like, 20-somethings? I mean, they're supposed to be, like, teenagers, but you know what I mean. Because they don't suspect it. I don't know. I feel like, especially, like, some of them, they don't even try. I don't know. Like, wait, there's a great shot. This cracks me up. Where is it? Is it Mar- Marsha? Who's, who's Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, Marcy. Marcy. When she, like, realizes she's about to be killed. Yeah, she has this kind of way shot where instead of fighting, she just goes, ah! And then, like, the next one's, like, the axe in her head. I'm like, <laughs> she looks so resigned of just, like, <laughs> Her face is ill. <laughs> well, I guess this has to happen. I had sex, so I guess, okay. <laughs> like, just knock her over. This woman's biggest adversary is osteoporosis. <laughs> but it's fine. You want me to believe she single-handedly hangs Steve upside down, throws a body through a window? <laughs> what kind of vitamins is this lady taking? It's fine. She has the rage of a mother who's lost her son, which, okay, that 
I can believe I can believe that. But in the end, after Alice finally kills her, she climbs. Alice now climbs into a canoe and falls asleep on the on the lake, which I think is like not a great plan, but okay. I was actually thinking she should have like done that the entire time. Like if she could get out there, she keeps going into buildings, fucking turning the lights on, like and like turning. She'll like flash them on and off, and she's running around. I'm like, if this woman like take the one canoe, go into the middle of the lake. And, like, it, you could see her coming from any direction. Because what can she do? She has to take a boat to you or she has to swim. Like, you'll be able to see it coming. And you can just, like, avoid her. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, the same argument I make for, like, if there was a zombie apocalypse, you have to be on the water. Yeah. Smart. I mean, it clearly, <laughs> this is, it clearly doesn't work for It Follows. But, <laughs> like, you know, everything else, get in the water. <laughs> Yeah, don't try to electrocute it in a swimming pool, but if it's... That you're also in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lessons, we're learning, we're learning here. So, she's in the canoe, the police come to rescue her, but before they do, she's, like, pulled out of the boat by a disfigured child, and... Jason! But, is it a dream? No. But she wakes up in the hospital, so you think it's a dream... Or was it? We don't know. Because the kid wasn't really there. And she's like, he's still there. But who knows? Oh, I took it. I took the ending to be that, like, it was real. And no one believed her. Uh, Well, see, that's interesting. Because I like that reading. But then in the next one, he's fully grown. And it only takes place shortly after. I wish I could remember... The last one better, because I feel like they have, like, a whole, like, flashback sequence with her in the beginning. Oh, yeah, I don't really remember. That is a good point that he's fully grown. But, like, if it's not him, like, where else did it come from? Should they ever explain how he's alive and, like... I think they do, but I think it's, like, a half-assed explanation. I think it's kind of, like, supernatural, too. I don't... I honestly don't... Eventually he goes to space, doesn't he? I don't, I don't think this franchise is thriving on its surrealism. Touche. But great. <laughs> great suspense. And, and I mean, that really got you. When she pulls him into the lake, that gets me every time. And I've seen it a million times. The kid just looks so like, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, like, speaking of kids and boats and shit that they can't do. Speaking of, what is it called when you don't watch kids when it's like... Negligence? Negligence. (laughs) Speaking of gross negligence of kids (laughs) around water. (laughs) Let's talk about Wet Hot American Summer, where Paul Rudd straight up kills... Like, three kids. (laughs) (laughs) Multiple kids. And I think he's not alone. I feel like some other counselors are also murdering children. I I think he's the only one who has deaths on his watch. That's America's sweetheart right there. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) dig him. (laughs) He's an actor. He's acting. Yeah. Yeah. So he just plays douchebags all the time. No, I'm sure he's, I've heard he's very lovely. Moving on before I get in trouble for saying horrible things about Paul Rudd. So, 
Wet Hot American Summer is a 2001 comedy, but it's set in 1981 at a summer camp, which would be just a year after Friday the 13th. (laughs) And it stars, like, literally everyone. I think they just walked into a cast rehearsal for Saturday Night Live and was like, does anybody have a second to help with something real quick? (laughs) And left with half the cast. But it's got David Hyde Pierce, Molly Shannon... Paul Rudd, Elizabeth Banks, Michael Ian Black, Bradley Cooper, and this is actually his first film role ever, and Amy Poehler, and that's just, like, half the ensemble cast. Janine Garofalo, Christopher Maloney, Ken Marino, Marguerite Moreau, Judah Freelander, etc., etc., etc. Joe Lotruglio. Michael Showalter. Yeah, it's, it's a huge ensemble cast. Um, and it parodies the 1980s coming of age, sex comedies, and pokes fun at all of their tropes. The movie was a critical failure. It's got a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, not our lowest, mm-hmm. um, but it earned back less than 20% of its budget at the box office, and it was a pretty low-budget film, so that's not good. Um, it premiered at Sundance, but it failed to pick up distribution at the festival. Eventually, it was picked up by USA Films, but it had a super limited theatrical release. Uh, Yet somehow, over time, it's managed to gain a cult following. And once it got on Netflix, it got, uh, as Netflix does, likes to pick up the culty things, make more of them. They created both a prequel and a sequel series to the film. I picture, like, when you don't get picked up at Sundance, it's kind of like being on Shark Tank and no one buying into your product and like none of the sharks like that's a no from me <laughs> and for that reason Paul Rudd kills kids for that reason I'm out <laughs> uh, having been at Sundance I can say you're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so let's get into it let's do it take a trip back to 1981 with the special people who made summer camp unforgettable. You guys aren't supposed to be out of your bunks. You're in trouble. The camp director. Four campers are stuck in the ropes course. I meant to tell you about that yesterday. Could you get to it now? The counselors. Wait for me, Abby Bernstein. Wait for me, my darling. Wait, wait, wait. Last one's take off my shirt. The kitchen staff. Finish up the taters. I'm gonna go fondle my sweaters. <laughs> Come on, what? You said you were gonna go fondle your sweaters. No, I didn't. The water sports. Hey, Andy, can I take out the barbie bus? Sure. The nature hikes. Out! Out! And of course, who can forget the sacks, the muggings, the cover-ups, the malaria, the psychotherapy. Hello. And the friendships that last a lifetime. We want you to be the guest of honor at our wedding next week. From USA Films and creators of TV's The State. A renegade piece of Skylab heading right for the camp. Oh my God. It could kill us all. Janine Garofalo, David Hyde Pierce, Paul Rudd, Christopher Maloney, and Molly Shannon. Andy, have you seen my swimming buddy? I was busy. It's your job to make sure kids don't drown. Um... Where are we going? To a big secret pizza party. Wet, hot American summer.
So this movie is all over the place. And one of the reoccurring like motifs and jokes is that time makes no sense and doesn't exist. <laughs> I was going to say, like, their day is so fucking long. It's like a Beyonce day. Like, I always joke that Beyonce has so many hours in her day. And, like, I can kill time. Like, day- three months have gone by. And I have, like, nothing to show for it. The, the like, time uh, title cards are, I have to say, it's, like, one of my favorite gags throughout the movie. Um, that they'll have, like, this, like, huge scene go on and then the like one of the time cards will come up and we'll be like half an hour later um but yeah that so i'm gonna do my best to summarize this given those things but we'll see how it goes so it is the last day of camp at camp firewood which means that it is time to get laid firstly and to have a talent show i would argue more importantly um (laughs) we meet everyone they all have a love interest. There are like 50 different stories going on. So I'm just going to go through all the kind of love interests and main plot points and triangles first. And then I'll kind of go through how they work out. But we meet Katie first. She's our main love interest. She's teaching underage girls how to look hot and get some since 1981. <laughs> then we meet Coop, who is in love with Katie. But Katie's not in love with Coop. Um, she's not. She's also not in love with Andy, who's her boyfriend, played by Paul Rudd, um, but, like, she definitely wants to get some, so she's just kind of, like, always, like, going in for the sex and kind of doesn't mind that he's a dick. What Uh, I kind of like is, like, I feel like when you watch the movie, you don't know that she's not really, like, into him, into him. You kind of think she is, like, kind of, like, being silly and stupid, but then you find out that she's just doing it for the sex, and then you respect her, and you're like, ah, I get it now. And Coop's the creep because he he's in the friend zone. I fucking hate that trope so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely appreciate the way they turn the friend zone like on its head here because I also hate the friend zone trope. But I feel like they do give like some sense of like the fact that like she just wants to fuck Andy because like I feel like one of their bits is that like every time they're interacting, she's just like making out with him and being like, "Do you want to like go and like sneak off and do a hike later?" And he's like oh my god you're so clingy and suffocating me and it's like but it's like every guy's like secret dream of the girl who just like is always trying to make out and like go have sex and he like is acting like it's a burden my favorite line was god damn it katie you're suffocating me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so andy feels very suffocated by katie he wants to get with vanessa who's played by elizabeth banks whose whole role is just to look caught in a bikini. Um, and she also wants to get with him. So Victor, Coop's friend, wants to sleep with Abby, who's kind of like the, the flirt of the, the camp would be the polite way to say it, I guess. But also um, a bit about like how he's been with a bunch of other people, but then he's a virgin. <laughs> yeah. So, so, He pretends to be a stud, but he's never had sex. So obviously when Abby decides to flirt with him, he's like, this is my one opportunity. So he's just like determined to lose his virginity. That's his plot line. Beth, the camp director, is crushing on the astrophysics director next door. As one does. We've all been there. Niles Um, Green. Susie kind of seems like Susie is played by Amy Poehler. She runs the talent show with Ben, who's played by Bradley Cooper. She seems like she might like him for a little bit. 
But Ben only has eyes for McKinley, played by Michael Ian Black, who has eyes for him back. I have to say, Michael Ian back Black is like, he's like a snack in this. Like, I was into it. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a time I had a little crush on Michael Ian Black when he used to do those, like, there was, like, those, like, shows where they would make jokes about different years. Yeah. I, <laughs> I forget what they were called. But I, I remember just, I, he was really funny, too. But yeah, I definitely, I think he's, um, I understand Ben's crush. I mean, uh, super cute together. They're both very handsome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, <laughs> they're a very pretty couple. Uh, but so McKinley's main plot line, other than being in love with Ben, is that he really needs a tween to take a shower. Gil <laughs> <laughs> is the arts and crafts director, played by Molly Shannon, who can't get over her ex-husband. And she's being coached through her grief by, like, an eight-year-old who she falls in love with and develops a relationship with. And I'm just, like, they never make it sexual, but there's, like, the connotation that they're, like, I just, like, can't deal with it. I love Molly Shannon so much, but I can't deal with this plot line. I found it upsetting. That was cringe. I really liked the humor of, like, the kids are coaching her through this. Like, that was funny. But the fact that they, like, took it there in the end, you're just a little bit, like, Ugh, like why agree I, I was like up with it until the point where she's like we're together now I talked to his parents it's okay I'm like Ugh, I don't know I'm like I'm like watching community now and they have like a similar thing where like Jeff and Annie are supposed to be together and she's like 17 and he's like in his 30s or 40s and like it's it's weird, like, watching it. You know that, like, they're, like, probably closer in age as actors. I'm also, like, I just, like, hate that this is a plot line because it's so, like, not okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think Jeff and Annie are the same as Molly Shannon in this no. eight-year-old. <laughs> it's not as bad, but, like, I just, like, hate in general, like, any sort of, ugh, I hate. I feel like it was audience pandering because I watched Community and I, I remember like everyone was like, oh, Annie and Jeff. And I feel like at first they were like, no way. That's like gross. And then like a couple seasons later, it's like Annie and Jeff. And I have to say, I got on board with it for a little while because like they played, they, they wrote it well, but it was creepy. I just like can't get over the age thing. Like I, I don't know. Anyways. Back to this movie. <laughs> Took us on a tangent. Um, but then one of our last plot lines we have Gary, who's working in the kitchen, and he's getting bullied by Jean, who's a Vietnam War vet, who like starts fights for no reason and picks on him, and then ends like every conversation by saying he has to go perform some sex act with an inanimate object and then running away when he realizes people hurt. Oh, I hated that. That's Christopher Maloney from like all those like SUV, not SUV, SVU, <laughs> SUV, like the car. No, um, yeah, I fucking hate that they made like that a punchline. It's like, so my dad was in Vietnam. So like, I really get super sensitive about like depictions of Vietnam vets like that. Cause it's like fucking, it's like fucked up and I could go on for longer, but I know we're going to talk more in the comparison and yeah. I that was you. definitely like one of the things I called out between this is like the way both of these movies deal with trauma and mental illness is not good. Um, but so, so to kind of go through the plot, how this all works out, 
Katie is making out with Andy. She catches Coop watching her. She teases Coop about liking her and then says she'll find him a girl. He agrees. Um, Victor is convinced that Katie is only talking to Coop because she wants to fuck him, Victor, because he thinks every everyone and everything wants to fuck him. But then he becomes easily distracted by Abby, who is actually making eyes at him like she wants to fuck because... She wants to fuck everything. Um, and Marino is amazing. He is so, like, he's so funny in, like, everything he does. His hair in this <laughs> is fantastic. <laughs> Meanwhile, the camp director, Beth, finally goes over to introduce herself to her crush. It's Professor Newman. Um, and finds out that he's an astrophysicist. She invites him to the camp to teach campers in space. He declines at first, but then he takes her up on the offer and finds himself a group of kids to do science projects with. I would have been in this group. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, the, I might have been in the group hiking with the Game Boys. Uh, oh, the rafting group? Or is that a I don't know. There was like a group of kids hiking through the woods, but they all had Game Boys and they were like playing on them. Well, but the rafting group, no, I would not have been in that group. Actually, I don't know who I'm kidding. I would have been in the talent show doing the horrible music (laughs) (laughs) that I would have wanted to be dancing. (laughs) Beth holds a camp meeting, or she she tells Victor and Neil that they're supposed to take kids whitewater rafting. Susie and Penn are producing a talent show. I love Amy Fuller in this. She's like, only the best kids can participate. Like, don't waste our time. If you can't sing, like, in tune, don't come in here and waste our time. But, and Bradley Cooper's great as well. Yeah, because um, you have to, like, be like, chill the fuck out with these campers. Like, when I went to camp, we had a talent show, and my cabin lip-synced to Ace of Base. I saw the sign, and we all dressed up as road signs, and I was a stop sign. Oh, that is horrible. Yeah, we didn't win. <laughs> we did Greece, and, like, all the boys were Danny and all the girls were Sandy. Could you, like, no one else wanted to be any of the other characters? <laughs> yeah, they just made it simple. Yeah, this is, like, really the only plot line I want in the movie. I just want to see Susie and Ben producing the talent show and then Ben and McKinley's relationship. <laughs> yeah. But Katie wants to get Andy to spend some time with her. He tells her she's suffocating him and he needs some space. It turns out Abby does want Victor and she tells him so just before he leaves for the rapid trip. So he says he'll find a way back to her. Um, then there's another camp meeting. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't even know where to go. Then there's another camp meeting. I just, like, love the chores she gives everyone. Like, Abby has to play the China Syndrome for campers. McKinley has to get four campers out of the ropes course that got stuck there yesterday. She's been meeting to tell him. And then, of course, the talent show. Beth asks Katie for help with her appearance so she can get the professor to like her. Um, <laughs> and I really appreciate this scene because it was, like, She's giving her, like, very, like, basic advice, like, wear a dress and do your hair. And I love how Beth is, like, making fun of, like, every girl who's ever been made over in a movie ever of, like, oh, wow, yeah, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. A dress. Okay, a dress. Um, so Katie gives her a makeover, which is really just that. She gives her a very deep side part. <laughs> That's it. 
Um, but this works and she is able to flirt with Professor Newman, except she realizes that she forgot the part where she was supposed to like come up with things to say. So when she asks him about astrophysics, she can't say anything. So she runs away and asks Katie where, um, where she should go to learn about astrophysics. And she says the library. So Beth heads into town all the kids jump in the back of the truck. They go with her. Um, this is great. This is, like, one of the funniest parts, I thought. I don't know. I had, like, mixed feelings about this because, it like, it escalates really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> they start drinking. Then all of a sudden they're, like, getting cocaine. Then they're, like, shooting up in a heroin den. And then, like, <laughs> then they go back to camp and they're, like, it's crazy how much you can get done in an hour. <laughs> I think that's what, like, that's the thing where the time thing hit me the most, because, like, yeah, and they were all fine, like, they were all sober at camp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but meanwhile, while this has happened, Andy was lifeguarding. He lets a kid take a boat out on his own. He's not paying any attention. Lindsay swims over in her bathing suit and his friend just literally like dives into the water and swims away. To <laughs> They're making out and a kid drowns. Um, <laughs> this is like so dark, but I love this scene where like they look up and one of the kids comes over and he's like, I can't find my swimming buddy. I don't know what happened to him. And then the next scene is just like, Andy pushing this kid out of a van on the side of the road <laughs> to dispose of the evidence. I feel like he throws so many kids out of the van, and I didn't realize it was to get rid of evidence until now. It's such a dark gag, but I think it's, like, probably one of my favorite gags. Like, that's the best. Now that I get it, that's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> so he's definitely just a, a raging child murderer. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. This is why Andy is the worst. <laughs> I think I didn't realize that Andy was the one in the van when the kids kept getting pushed out of the van. I just remember the kids getting pushed out of the van, but I didn't know Andy was driving. No, he keeps killing the kids when he's fucked up. So the <laughs> <laughs> he's the Mrs. Voorhees of Wet Hot American Summer. Well, no, Mrs. Voorhees is going to, all the Mrs. Voorheeses are going to come after him. I do like to imagine this is the prequel (laughs) to Friday the 13th. Um, Yes. Okay. So what else has happened? Um, Okay. So meanwhile, Vic and Neil are heading up to the Whitewater Rapids and Vic has revealed to Neil that he's kind of a virgin, which is why it's so important that he gets with Abby. So he ditches Neil and starts running back to the camp. And Neil kind of takes the kids halfway out onto the rapids before being like, no one knows how to go down them but Victor. And then leaves the kids on the rapid, walks like two feet (laughs) to the bank of the river, and then gets on a bike. So he's, he's also killing kids. It's another kid killer. No, that scene is, they literally, they're they're on the edge of the rapid, and they keep cutting back to them, and they're all just sitting there in the boat. (laughs) Those kids live. 
Um, but back at the camp, Abby has already forgotten about Victor and she's making out with Carrie. Um, let's see what else. Gail is falling deeper and deeper in love with an eight-year-old in the arts and crafts room. <laughs> So about this point, we have JJ and Gary are watching Vanessa and the girls swimming in the water in the lake, but McKinley's not into it. They decide McKinley needs to get laid, but what they don't know is that McKinley is getting laid. He's in love with Bradley Cooper. Um, They have like a kind of beautiful sex scene in one of the cabins. I mean, who would have thought that Bradley Cooper was the bottom in that relationship? Not me. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was like, no way. Okay. I mean, I'm in a way, but <laughs> unexpected. Um, I, their relationship is like, I know that I don't even know the tone they're trying to play it with. I know it's not super serious, but I'm very moved by their romance. It was surprising. I think it's very similar to like, but I'm a cheerleader from last week because it's like the whole movie satire. It's very like over the top. And then you get that one really nice sex scene. And in both cases, it's a gay couple, which is like really nice for, and that was 1999. This is 2001. So for this time period to have two really nice, genuine, well done sex scenes is really nice. I can't entirely sort out with Wet Hot American Summer if by making it nice, they're making it a little bit of a joke. I, I, I'll i talk about that more later, but, like, I do appreciate it. I think they're trying to, like, I think the joke is, like, the sincerity with which they handle it when everything else is satire. I don't think it's necessarily just poking fun at them being gay, but it is a little. You, yeah. I can see reading it different ways. That 2001 problematic <laughs> timing. When we were all sarcastic and no one knew what anyone meant. <laughs> um, then there's this really random scene where Coop is prepping everyone. I actually really appreciate this. Uh, Coop is like pep talking everyone for the big baseball game that they've been training like crazy for the summer. And the rich camp is coming to play them and they're the underdogs. But then the kids decide it's trite, and he goes over and talks to the <laughs> other coach and tells them they think it's trite, so they just don't do it, and that's the end of the scene. Oh, I fucking love that scene. That's my, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, because it's like the whole movie is playing on these tropes, and that one is the one that like jumps out at me the most. That it's like this baseball team, they're like, we did bad all season, but somehow we're in the finals. What should we do? And the kids are like, well, it's this is kind of well-worn territory. It feels kind of trite. I say we forget it. I fucking die. I think that, yeah, that's one of my... That and the kids out of the van are, I think, my two favorite trips of the movie. Yeah. Um, then they play a capture the flag game because can't. Beth agrees to write a letter of recommendation to Professor Newman's boss because he's revealed that He's not a professor. He's an associate professor, which means that he's less than, and she doesn't want him to feel that way. So they're, like, together now. They're in love. Um, Meanwhile, Katie, despite being beautiful, has barbecue sauce on her face, so Andy's a dick to her. She gets upset. She goes off to a barn with Coop. She's cold. They swap shirts, like, five times because they're cold. Then they kiss. (laughs) Coop tells Beth and his parents that, like, he's in love. They don't have to worry. He's found a girl. He makes a weird Jewish joke. 
the talent show is doing Godspell. <laughs> it's all over the place. But Beth tells Coop like to take it easy, not to get too excited. Meanwhile, JJ and Gary see McKinley and Susie leaving the cafeteria together, and they think McKinley is going to hook up with Susie. So they follow him because, like, it didn't really happen if they didn't see it. But what instead they see is McKinley marrying Ben in this beautiful <laughs> wedding ceremony on the beach. Um, and they realize that McKinley, they use a slur, but they realize that he is gay. And then because they are actually good friends, the twist is that rather than be upset about this, they go out and buy him like a really nice wedding present and bring it to the cafeteria. (laughs) I love that dude. He's like, McKinley, Ben. And then they give him like a chaise from like Crate and Barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of adorable. While this is happening in the cafeteria, Gene, the cook, is in the kitchen talking to a can of vegetables, which teaches he finds himself, and then he teaches Coop to find himself so he can help him get back with Katie. Uh, so Coop confronts Andy and says he likes Ka- Katie, and it's clear Andy doesn't, so he should let her go, but Andy won't because she's hot. <laughs> yeah. Also around this time... Professor Newman tells Beth that there's a meteor heading towards the camp, and they've well, developed. I think it's a piece of Skylab. <laughs> I couldn't even follow something. Something from space is now going to hit the camp too, and the nerds have to save it. Uh, I think it's a piece of something that actually did fall from space in real life. Oh, so like a lot at the same time period, so they like fucked up the times or on purpose, probably. But. Victor has come back to the camp to get with Abby, but she's already forgotten his name. So Neil finds him and tells him the campers need you. He walks two feet and saves the campers <laughs> that were supposed to be like two hours away. And then when everyone's been saved by the meteor and from the rapids and from the baseball, everyone goes to the talent show where Gail's husband shows up and says he wants Gail back. She says no which opens her up to a real relationship with her eight-year-old lover. (laughs) They perform Godspell. Coop is really funny in the talent show. So Katie realizes she loves him and tells him. That's not Coop. That's supposed to. So, like, that threw me off, too, because that that is the same actor doing another character. Ugh. Which was so weird because it took me out of it, too, because then Coop comes in with the short shorts on. And I'm like, but he was just on the stage, but that wasn't supposed to be him. Because in the credits, he's credited twice. I thought they were just making a joke, like his impression was so good. Oh, I don't know, but I think it was, I don't know. Who can even tell what this is? (laughs) It doesn't make any more sense either way. (laughs) Such a problem. But, so... She, she tells him she loves him. They have more kissy time. But then the next morning she tells him that, like, she probably likes him more, but she's not old enough to know that. She just thinks Andy's really hot, so she's going to still be Andy's girlfriend. And she leaves the camp with Andy, and that's wet, hot American summer. It's so real. I love that ending. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Oh my god, I'm sorry. That summary was all over the place. I don't know what to do with this one. I mean, this movie is all over the place. 
I did my best. <laughs> I did like the scene where the guy in the talent show brings down the satellite or whatever with like the gloves and he's like moving his hands and shaking and everything starts to shake. I felt like it was very like David Lynch. And I don't know if they like did that on purpose, like to like call to that type of movie, but it felt very like mystical and weird. Ooh. I don't know. Thank you. Yeah, I think you did a great job. Thank you. I, I appreciate the validation I needed after that one. <laughs> uh, in my notes, it just says Katie chose Paul Rudd. Duh. <laughs> He's a babe. So, aside from both being set at camp in the 80s, what do these movies have in common? I have to say, as, like, an ex-lifeguard, one of the major themes between both of them is not taking proper care of children around water, and it stressed <laughs> me the fuck out. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so true. Like, they... This is gross negligence. I feel, I feel so smart saying gross negligence. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it, it definitely is. There are some lawsuits waiting to happen in both of these. I, I guess I like, okay, so I do feel really frustrated given, like, how <laughs> how easy it was to show, like, Andy's self-centeredness distracting him from saving the kid. The fact that they chose to open with a non-related murder in Friday the 13th instead of showing the drowning when they could have shown, like, a camp counselor being distracted in a way that would not only set up why she doesn't want the camp open, but also like kind of like set up her taking it out specifically on the counselors and like these kind of like sexually distracted teens really frustrates me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, so they focus on the fact that the counselor is a horny as fuck, but they don't focus on how that, how that actually led to Jason's death. They just in general are horny. Yeah, and, like, I feel like less so in Friday in the first one, but I remember in the sequel that there are definitely, like, those sexually frustrated slasher themes, like, more and more as you get on. Like, if you have sex, you do die. People being killed during have, having sex. And it just frustrates me that, like, not only did they not show us the origin of this character that, that's going to continue through the whole franchise, but they could have set up the motive in a visual way, and they didn't do it. Do you think it's because it it makes it more of a gray area? Like maybe that maybe Jason dr drowned by a freak accident and it wasn't counselor's fault. Like the counselors were watching or, you know, like maybe it makes Mrs. Voorhees less reliable because we don't get to see what actually happened. It could, I don't know, but I still feel like, yeah, we want to see it. <laughs> yeah, and even if it was, like, a freak accident, then when you do see her and it's revealed that she's the killer, that's so much, like, freakier because you realize how unhinged she is. Yeah. I mean, she's pretty unhinged as it is, but it just adds that, like, extra dimension of, like, I don't know. No, that's a good point. I mean, ultimately, I think, like, at the core of both of these films, we have to just realize that teenagers are very horny. 
<laughs> in films and maybe in real life, but mostly in all of these movies in the 80s and actually all movies. Yeah. <laughs> all movies about teens. Yeah. No, it's really true. And, like, so I think that one, one thing I think is funny is both of the movies show the horny teens, but for whatever reason, I feel like Wet Hot American Summer doesn't play on the 80s slasher trope. Like, they, they go through all these movies, coming-of-age movies, baseball movies, motorcycle chase movies, all these different kinds of 80s movies, but they don't really do much with slashers. And the, the movie takes place at a camp, so I feel like it's like a layup. That's interesting, because I feel like especially, like, Elizabeth Banks' character, Lindsay, sets herself up kind of like a victim in a slasher film. But I don't know. I, I guess because... I feel like it would be difficult with the tone of Wet Hot American Summer. But they could have done, like, a similar thing where, like, it could have been, like, a fake out like they did so many times where, like, she has sex and then you, like, think she's about to be killed and then they're like, oh, no, I just needed to get my bow because I'm supposed to, like, run archery next. Like, something said something really sex positive then, like, leaves. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like they could have even just, like, did, like, a throwaway, like, oh, that kid that drowned here a bunch of years ago. Oh, what? Huh? Like, and yeah. just, like, left it and, like, just, like, as a string, like, because, like, they don't circle back to a lot of shit. So it's, like, they could have just said it. I do feel like both of these movies are, like, fairly sex positive for their genres, though. Like, even Friday the 13th, I feel like, did not subscribe as concretely to the like uh if you have sex you die type thing or making it seem like people were dying because they had sex like annie's the first person to go she's the most virginal of any of them alice is the last but she kind of like she she seems like a little bit more sexually empowered and she i think she definitely has interest in like mike um so i, I would his name is bill i just been calling him mike oh, fuck. <laughs> the, the last guy to die I yeah. feel like she has like some interest in him so like she she seems to have like some like sensuality and I don't think that like like Kevin Bacon and I can't remember these characters names that couple are script white guy number two <laughs> nondescript white girl in underwear number one. Yeah, right. um but like they they don't seem like their sex is like blinding them from their responsibility. They seem like in the car where they have the friend who's alone, they seem like the more mature out of both of them. They play off. Oh my God. You just told me her name. It's <laughs> Marcy, Brenda. Marcy. They play off. Marcy as like the mom character. When the friend's pretending to drown, they're the two who like dive in and go and get him. Like, they seem responsible. So it doesn't play into those tropes the same way, I feel like. And what Hot American Summer, I feel like, just kind of plays it off. Like, you know, it's like a normal thing kids are going through. And, like, it's, it's not about love. Kids are horny. And, like, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think they are both fairly sex-positive movies. And I think as slasher movies go, this is one of the more tame ones I think you see like one boob and yeah there's like one sex scene it's a very sex positive scene I thought like yeah she's on top (laughs) literally figuratively I don't know 
And they seem like they care about each other. It seems genuine. Like, I compare it to the sex scenes with the friends in Halloween. And, like, <laughs> they they play those characters to be so much sluttier and, like, negligent because they're interested in sex than they do the characters in Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's a good point. They do paint Marcy. I think she even gets told she's like, Ned thinks she's like the mom or something. Like, that's like a line because Ned's a jerk. But yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. So they're horny, but they're horny responsibly. Yeah. They pee up their sex. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it's like interesting talking about like the more like, sexually empowered female characters like just the female characters in general in in these movies yeah I I think they're both set in the 1980s um so I feel like there are these gender roles that play into both more so in what hot American summer I feel like is more gendered than Friday the 13th probably because it's exaggerating for satire but there I feel like there is this expectation of like being the mom, like, being very sexual. Everything's very, like, heteronormative. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in... I, I mean, I, they don't develop the characters much at all in Friday the 13th, so you don't really get, like, too much backstory on these characters or anything like that. But in Wet Hot American Summer, they definitely... I feel like some of the female characters are given, like, some really cool agency, and then some of them I just have a little... Some problems... Well with Molly Shannon's character, a lot of problems with. But also Janine Garofalo's character, I feel like in the end, she's going to move to Florida and have a baby with Niles Crane. And like, I don't know, seems a little bit like forced into a role kind of thing. She'll get to come back for camp every summer. He's made sure of it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think to your point, the characters in What Hot American Summer, they all have to have some sort of couple they're in if they're a female character. Um, they can't just be, like, even even though Katie's kind of, like, sexually empowered, she still has to be, like, coupled up, and that still has to be one of her main plot points. Um, whereas I think, like, there are female characters allowed to be single in Friday the 13th and to operate without a love story as part of their plot. But I also think one thing I thought that Friday the 13th actually did... It's hard to say better because Wet Hot American Summer is definitely satirizing it. But just, like, given that they're both camp counselors, the actual, like, tasks they were given. Like, in Friday the 13th, we start off with seeing Allison. Like, she's literally just, like, nailing something onto the front. I couldn't do it. She's, like, holding up a gutter and nailing it onto the front of the house. They give one of the guys the painting job. Brenda is sent to, like, put these huge things up in archery. Like, the girls aren't in the house, like, cooking or cleaning. They're doing these, like, housework jobs right along with the guys. Danny was supposed to be the cook, but she got murdered. Yeah. I feel like even the way they, like, let Alice fight, like, Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, fights Michael Myers with, like, a fork and a kitchen knife. Um, but they let, like, Alice, like, takes up a gun. She knows how to use the gun. She's trying to, like, load it up. She's, she grabs some serious weapons. She can, like, canoe her way out of there. They don't, like, limit her to, like, fighting with house materials. But everyone in, like, Wet Hot American Summer is, like, 
girls, like, she's gonna, one girl has to do, like, the movies, and Katie just seems to be, like, teaching girls how to do makeup, like, and the guys are going whitewater rafting and all these things. Yeah, like, the uh, Molly Shannon's teaching arts and crafts. One thing about the female characters that I think, you know, is really cool is despite her uh, small stature and unbelievability that she could cause all these murders I love that the the slasher is a woman like that's super cool because like very rarely do you get to see the killer in a slasher movie be a woman yeah that's really interesting she is a mom who's avenging her child which is very like women you know maternal and woman you know a woman's role or whatever but like still badass yeah I wonder in some ways if that's why the women can be more sexually empowered in that movie, because usually I feel like the underlying motif, like spoken or unspoken for like these male slasher films is like male sexual frustration. So if that's not the motive, then this goes against everything I was saying before, but like there's less of a case for that. Interesting. Although she is punishing them for having sex still i mean or or is it like that they were on their own that they like separated from the group is how she got them yeah it's true interesting interesting um i think we oh i think we touched on it briefly but the way they handle i think you wanted to circle back to it the way they handle mckinley and ben i love them i yeah i just think it's like they handle it so sincerely that I think you could make an argument by that being like the sincere thing. They're making a joke out of it. But then I think there's also kind of this commentary of like, you have all these like hetero couples running around making horrible decisions. And then that's just like one very responsible, like McKinley has it together. The most of the camp counselors, like, can you shower? Like he's going to get kids out of the rope course. He's the most level headed and Ben too. And like, I don't know what they're trying to say, but I appreciate that they have it in there. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think like watching it the week after we did But I'm a Cheerleader, I think that sex scene was fresh in my mind and it did mirror it a little bit for me because of the way it's like kind of mid-satire that they kind of like break from yeah. that and do a really nice scene. So I think maybe I was more willing to except that it was like a nice scene because we just saw that being done last week. Had we not watched that movie literally a week ago, I might not have the same thought in my mind because they do use the slur and they definitely play it for laughs a little before the nice scene. But they do shoot it to your point. Like it, it is a nice scene. They shoot it like completely differently. Like every, when you see, Paul Rudd and Katie making out or Paul Rudd and Lindsay, like they're, (laughs) it's gross. Like they're, they're playing it for laughs. You can literally see their tongues going like in and out of each other's mouths. And it's just like a gross comedic sex scene. But like when they have like Bradley Cooper, Michael Ian Black together, it's literally the only scene where like, it's, it looks like good, like real sex. Like they tried to shoot it nicely. Um, So they are doing that. And then they, even when using the slur, then they turn it on its head by having the friends be like, 
not like, oh my God, he's lank. We can't be friends with him, but oh my God, he's this. We need to like get him a present. Like let's support him. Like, yeah. Well, I think it's like, it's very 2001. Like I feel like for 2000, like if you think about it in terms of like when it was made, I think they, it was really progressive for the time for what was being done in, in comedy film at the time. I don't think there was much positive representation at the, you know, in 2001 for the queer community in mainstream comedy. So I think in that way, I think it, it's good. And I like to think it was a nice scene because <laughs> they, they're just so cute together. <laughs> I like to think so, too. Let's go with that. Yeah. Did they end up together? I, I watched the sequel. Did you watch? I watched the prequel and the sequel. And I'm trying to remember, too. Later. I can't I think remember. they do end up together. I think they have them as, like, I feel it. I need to look it up. But I feel like they like adopted kids and they have them as like the stable, like normal couple still. That makes sense. Like contrast, like everyone's craziness. I love how they call in this. They like, they knew they were going to do it or they just put it just in case. And they're like, we should meet up in 10 years. We should do it in the morning. And I'm like, haha, you really did it. But like, and <laughs> let's meet at nine 30. <laughs> let's say nine. So we all get here at nine 30. Like, why don't we just do nine 30? <laughs> McKinley, he's the only one with like common sense. And I love that they're all like 50 in the sequel. Like all the actors are like in their like 40s and 50s playing like 20 somethings. Well, I love when they do the prequel and it's supposed to be like them at that age, like the summer (laughs) before. Because the joke in the first movie is how old they look for their ages. And then they bring them back 20 years later and make them play even younger. And it's hilarious, especially when they've cast the kids the right age. Oh, it's so funny. Except for the ones that didn't age well. (laughs) And then it's not funny. So, like, another thing I think, like, we have to talk about in these movies, and I think we've touched upon it a little already, but, like, these movies are very white. Like, very white. Like, to the point where it was jarring to not know who the hell was who in Friday the 13th, because they literally were just, like, nondescript white people one through five. Like, they literally were interchangeable. I don't think there are any people of color in Wet Hot American Summer. I think there might have been one extra in Friday the 13th. Um, But I'm not... He wasn't even in it long enough that I'm, like, 100% sure. Yeah. So the only black person in Wet Hot American Summer was the runner in the scene of Capture the Flag, where a black character just runs in, picks up the flag and runs away, playing, like on like he's a marathon runner and it was really off-putting and just kind of like jarring and I didn't really know how to read it because like you can't really make that in a movie with no people of color that's your only character yeah and it just like it felt really uncomfortable and like wrong to me yeah It's like, I I guess there probably is some reality to an all-white, very hetero summer camp in the Northeast in the 80s. But the thing is that neither of these films ground themselves in reality. Like, that's not a good excuse on its own. But also, like, especially when you have very non-realistic films, it's just not an excuse. 
And I think, like, my bigger qualm with American Hot Hot Summer is that, like, it's made later. It's not made in the 80s. It's setting itself up to be a comedy. And I feel like it easily could have played with acknowledging how white these summer camps were in the same way it plays with, like, the queer characters subverting expectations and norms. Like, Or, like, I even think, like, they, they easily could have had, like, a Dave Chappelle-like character play, like, a similar scenario to what Michael Ian Black does, not in the gay way, but, like, I could totally imagine, like, a Black character just being there and, like, instead of his friends, like, realizing he's gay and supporting him, they have this realization that, like, he's Black and, like, still support him. Like, there are so many ways it could have totally worked within the tone of the film still while also acknowledging the films they were satirizing. Yeah. they just weren't creative enough to do it and that's not cool well there was like another scene that's problematic that like again I'm like you know 2001 like what like I just you know you have to look at it and be like what was this why did they put this here and it was the scene in the talent show where there's a little little white kid doing like a stand-up act but he's doing the act telling like a joke from the perspective of a black comedian and it was like really awkward and then after the punchline Amy Poehler elbows Bradley Cooper and she's like, that's true, that's true. Like, reiterating the punchline to the joke. And I just, I don't know what the joke was supposed to be. Like, I know, like, we are all thinking so much more critically and so much more, you know, just we're we're really heightened. Our awareness of this stuff is so heightened at this present moment and it should be and it's, like, it's really good. But, like, when you watch these movies and you're thinking, like, what what were they thinking? And yeah. I just don't have an answer for it. And it's weird. They definitely do have a moment also where it's a super quick shot, but Andy has a Confederate flag in his cabin. And I feel like that's totally supposed to be like a commentary of like, this dude's a fucking asshole. But like, there is like some level of awareness of like, how do we paint a character like as an asshole? Like we're putting this in there and then it's just, just weird. Like it's not fully done or acknowledged or commented anywhere else. It's very odd. Another thing um, is, so the movie was made by, I forget the director's name, David Hain. David Wayne, I think. David Wayne and Michael Showalter. And I think it was based on a summer camp that David Wayne had gone to. And it was like a Jewish, a Jewish summer camp. And so it's kind of like loosely based on this Jewish summer camp. There's a lot of like, you know, Jewish references. I think like, I think that's something that like permeates through the whole movie. Um, And something interesting I read in an article that I can't confirm or deny because I didn't research this myself. I just read it in another article was that there are no Jewish female actresses in the movie. A lot of the male actors are, but they didn't cast one female Jewish actress. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, again, like this is based on an article I read. So, and I think actually it did, it did specify that Elizabeth Banks has since converted, but at the time. Yeah. But yeah. It's all the same thing, but yeah, you know what I mean? Um, so it's just like really, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know what to do with that either. It's just, but that, that adds like this other level of it too, where if their justification, which is not really a justification, but if they're trying to get away with like, Oh, well it was based at my experience at this like Jewish summer camp. So therefore that's what this like demographic would look like. And then you don't go ahead and cast that accurately when it comes to like, Oh, but I want like hot female actresses, not to say, that came out really wrong. There are tons of like hot, like Jewish female actresses, but if they're like going to try and like make, like pull in whatever actresses they want and not count it there, then you can't really make a justification for excluding other groups of people and other races because that's what your experience quote unquote looks like. Yeah. Like get like Sarah Silverman in this movie. Like get like. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like they really could have, they could have done a ton. But I'm thinking too of like Tim Meadows, I think was in the SNL cast at the same time that they're like pulling all these other characters. And just like, I'm thinking of like his character from Mean Girls and replacing Beth with that. And I'm like, it's, it just works. Like, Yeah, but he was actually like really good on SNL at the time. So he probably had like things to do. <laughs> That's true. He was making like the ladies man. <laughs> Or he might have been making Mean Girls. I feel like that's not too far. But then Amy Poehler's in it, so. Oh, that's right. I don't know. But, yeah. I guess I guess the, one of the, the last topics, like, I think one of the things we touched on this before that they don't handle well is just, like, this idea of, um, like, treating mental illness like a joke and the way they take these traumatic experiences and make them almost, like, distort them to be either comedical or so dark for like our voyeuristic pleasure and I think like the the three characters that came up for me are Jason's mom dealing with like the trauma of Jason and the way they distort that the character of Jean is all sorts of fucked up taking like like because the whole joke is just like he's experiencing PTSD and like that's the joke, like, which is, yeah, I feel like that was a common, it was a very common thing they did with Vietnam veterans in movies at the time and before the time. And yeah, it's, I mean, obviously for personal reasons, it's never really sat well with me, but this is a very common trope. And I think they've gotten a lot better since then realizing, you know, obviously the Vietnam war is very controversial and all that, but obviously the soldiers are not to blame but that's like a longer story um but yeah they this trope is something that's not new but why fuck with it in a 2001 movie like I feel like we're a little bit past it at that point I don't I don't know enough about the movies they were satirizing to say whether or not that was like a reoccurring theme in them or a trope they used but either way then it's like then make a commentary with it don't just do the same trope and make fun of it the same way yeah, and poor Christopher Maloney had a hump of fridge in front of a cafeteria full of children. Like, yeah. Just to film, I mean, just to physically film that scene. Like, imagine how uncomfortable that would be. Uh, Molly Shannon had to, like, hold one's hand and be like, this is my... Well, she was the other character I pulled up, too, of, like, someone who's, like, clearly going through some sort of, like, mental illness and they treat it like... Or not mental illness, but some sort of, like, life-changing situation or serious event and they treat it like a joke. Um, and, and both of those, like 
both Gail and Jean with Wet Hot American Summer, like, I don't know what trope they're, they're playing with, but they're certainly not using it to make any sort of, like, well-informed commentary or move forward the conversation. I think, and I could be remembering wrong because it's been a while since I saw them, but I think in the sequel, they kind of like retcon the gene stuff by making the can of vegetables like legitimately talking. Like it's not him hearing things. It's like the can is sentient. So like at that point, it's like not him being crazy. It's like this can of vegetables is actually speaking. Um, I don't know if that helps. I, I can't remember the context, but it's like a whole thing. They have like an actor playing the can of vegetables. I mean, I'm sure there was a guy playing the can of vegetables. Well, they have um, the voice of it is H. John Benjamin, who's the voice of um, Archer and Bob and Bob's Burgers. Oh, that's great. It sounds like Bob. Um, but yeah, I think the way they deal with Jason's mom, too, and the trauma of losing a kid is they also turn it into this voyeuristic thing, which I mean, for the genre, it's kind of like, how do you not? But I also, it, it's, it's a thing in general, the way that I think movies of the eighties use mental illness to create their villains in a way that only adds to the stigma of mental illness Yeah, and I feel like this is very specific to female slasher killers and in the way it's always, I mean, not always, but from just the couple I'm thinking of in my mind, it's always like a mom who's traumatized by something that happened with her kid and it's like never just like she's she's a slasher. Like she, she can never just be a slasher. It has to be born of this like, trauma from a maternal and this isn't I mean this isn't everyone so like um there's tons that do not fit this but there's enough of that fit this that make it a thing yeah the last thing that the last scenario that I kind of call and this is another wet hot American summer one this is like a personal issue to me so maybe that's part of it but like the I thought like the drug scene kind of went to like a very like superfluously like up to the cocaine, like, fine, that's funny. But when they have them shooting up in a heroin den next to, like, people who are passed out, that's to me when I was like, that's not funny anymore. Yeah. Like, now you're just being assholes. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. Like, that that does take it to the next level that they didn't need to take it to. Especially to show no repercussions. Like, that's, like, something that would have repercussions in terms of addiction and stuff like that. Yeah, that was just the thing that changed the joke from being like, we're, we're going to have them have this like crazy night out and then be like, funny what you can do in an hour to like making fun of addicts. And that, like, that was where it crossed the line for me and like really wasn't funny anymore. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Wow, I feel like we took a really silly movie and got pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're like <laughs> all these like you know like race trauma um, roles gender roles we're like all the all the important topics in this silly ass movie but I'm glad so every episode we are breaking down the lessons we can all learn from watching these two movies together 
So what did we learn today? Trauma is no joke. Please stop making jokes about it. Please write your characters better. Seriously. <laughs> Come up with better motifs and make better commentary on things people could do better, like counselors need to pay better attention. I mean, teach your kids to swim. That's no cool. one's going to say it, but... <laughs> I mean... As a lifeguard, I used to get frustrated by the parents who would drop their kid in the pool and then go to the bar. (laughs) You know, like, we're there to, like, we're there for the worst case scenario. You shouldn't, we're not, like, swimming teachers. So, like, or swim coaches. Not the first line of defense. What happens at camp stays at camp because you're dead. Or, like, you know, I think, like, we bring back those short shorts. Uh, Like, if you want to try that style out for a summer... Like, no one's gonna say anything. <laughs> Second that. But no matter what you wear, keep your fucking dick in your pants. <laughs> yeah. Either you're gonna get kills or you're gonna not be watching the pool and you're gonna kill someone. Just keep it in your pants. <laughs> it's just common courtesy. It really is. That's it. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> um, so which movie do you think teaches the lesson better? I don't know. If this had been another Friday the 13th movie, I would say Friday the 13th. But I don't think the first Friday the 13th, like we talked about, plays on the sex equals death as much as some of the others. So I might say Wet Hot American Summer because lots of kids really fucking died. Yeah, I'm going to say Wet Hot American Summer as well because... I think between these two films, like, Andy is the most dangerous character, and he's also the pervious character between them, so I think, like, case in point. (laughs) What up? Which movie did you enjoy watching more? I think Friday the 13th, because I hadn't seen it, so I was still, like, really enjoying all the suspense and, like, the thrills for the first time. Yeah, I, w- I want to say Friday the 13th, too. I mean, like I said, I liked Wet Hot American Summer, but I liked it less this time around. And I fucking always love Friday the 13th. I just, it's so much fun. Um, For our listeners, Amanda is <laughs> wearing a Friday the 13th shirt right now as we speak. My, um, one of my friends who actually did watch the first five with on a Friday the 13th, like a couple years ago. Uh, I was an old roommate of mine. Got it for me for my birthday this year. Oh, thanks, Brooke. Oh, she also sings the theme song. <laughs> so if you enjoy the theme song, that's my friend Brooke, who bought me this shirt that you can't see. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's great. Yeah. Um, which movie do you think is more feminist? Ooh, that's a hard one. I actually, I think I want to say Friday the 13th. I only, this isn't really a well thought out answer, but I really like that there's a female slasher killer. I thought the final girl, like you had mentioned, she was pretty smart and with it. And I thought, you know, she was pretty badass. Um, sex, it was very sex positive. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I'm torn because I want to say for, for writing. And plot, Friday the 13th, for cinematography, Wet Hot American Summer, I think, objectifies its female characters less with the camera, except for Elizabeth Banks, but it's kind of making fun of um, it when it does it there. 
Yeah, and she also has, like, a mouthful of barbecue sauce, which I really liked. Like, that was really, she's like, what? I know, I, I like what she was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's all for today. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're new, so it really helps to have those reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss a new episode. For more Happily Ever Slasher, visit us online at happilyeverslasher.com. You can find all our episodes, links to some of the things we talk about. Maybe I'll put a picture of my shirt up. Do it. Uh, yeah. So we, we post some cool stuff related to the episodes um, each week. You can also find us on Instagram at Happily Ever Slasher or Twitter at Ever Slasher Pod. And if you have any suggestions for episodes, tips on how we could do better, or just want to say hi, email us at happilyeverslasher at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Amanda. And I'm Tara. And remember, all spare in love. And gore. Nice. <laughs>